a very interesting person. His name is Malcolm Ocean. And of course, that's a very distinct name for a very distinct person. Now, on his website, he refers to himself as a multi-potentialite, which I had to Google this. It has the definition of being somebody with many interests and creative pursuits. I guess a jack of all trades, if you will. Now, he thinks a lot about the future of humanity, and he considers himself to be a part of the effective altruism movement, which is the concept of figuring out how we can use our own resources to help others the most. Now, much like myself, he has an obsession with productivity, and he seems to be constantly questioning his own beliefs, actions, thoughts, and behavior. Now, I came across Malcolm after reading a great book called The Motivation Hacker by a friend of Malcolm's named Nick Winter. Now, Nick is another interesting character who I also hope to have on the show someday, but he is the founder of another company called Scritter, which aims to teach people on how to learn and write Japanese and Chinese characters. Now, the common connection between the both of them is an app called BeMinder, which is what some might describe as a pre-commitment device. The theory is that if you set a goal like lose weight or exercise, and you can use friends or family to help referee that goal. In the case of BeMinder, it integrates with various apps and services to automatically track your progress towards those goals, and you basically bet money against yourself to meet those goals. Now, one of those apps is a web software called Complice.co. And that is a very unique software that aims to bridge the gap between your goals and your intentions. This is the creation of Malcolm's, and he's been working on this app for a very long time. And it's a web application that is designed around setting goals and then asking you to write down your intentions on what you plan to do to reach those goals. I've personally been using the app now for going on two weeks, and I've found it to be incredibly helpful to my own productivity, and we'll be talking about that more in the episode. But this episode itself has probably got to be one of the most interesting and fun conversations I've had in this episode series to date. In the, in the episode, we talk about everything from productivity, goal setting, meditation, biofeedback, heart rate variability, finding flow getting outside your comfort zone, and so much more. This episode is jam-packed with helpful stuff. So without further ado, I present to you, ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm Ocean. Malcolm, thank you for coming on the show. So happy to have you. Yeah, this is really exciting. Is this your your first interview on a podcast or have you done this before? Uh, Yeah, no, this is my first time. Cool. So I've cool. done lots of uh, talking, you know, on, you know, public, public speaking and that kind of thing. But this is my first interview and I really like the conversational way of exploring things. So I'm really excited to, uh, to talk with you today, Cody. And there, there's one thing I noticed on your website. You have this picture on your about page with your shirt off. And I don't know if that's you in the other different positions, but that it's, it's, can you please explain that? Because it's such an interesting, like, I look at it, like, I don't know if it's a piece of art or, or what, are you, what are you trying to portray in that picture? Well, they're all me. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, part of how I'm able to be so productive is that I have eight of myself. Mm. And so we all collaborate on making sure that everything happens. The secret of productivity is clone is clones actually. No. So if, if you look at this image, you'll see what, what appears to be eight, eight of a single person in one room. The person is me. And it's basically just Photoshop magic. 
and yeah, I recorded myself basically doing a bunch of the main activities that I do. So you've got me writing, you've got me playing music, exercising, drawing, and working at my computer and so on. And it's it's trying to trying to capture the multifacetedness of me. That, that's very, very good. Uh, I think I think that's all a part of what we want to have is uh, have a clone of ourselves or being able to picture ourselves doing all those positive habits and things that we all want to achieve in life. So that's it's a very interesting, very good artistic representation. I like it. And now the, the next thing is Complice. And so can you tell me a little bit about that software and where you got the idea, how, how you came up with it? And just in general, how it's being used by the people who are our clients. Yeah, well, and my, and you've been using it a bit yourself, yes, so maybe you can share a bit of your own experience with it too. And uh, I'm I'm also you know always curious to hear how other people describe it. But if you want, I can I can go into it a little bit first myself. Yeah, sure. So so yeah, so Complice is a productivity system which is very different from pretty much everything else that I've seen out there. And the difference comes down to uh, basically four uh, four dimensions. So, like the first thing is that most productivity systems focus on like tasks as opposed to focusing on goals. So you've got like all of these random things in there, but they're not. It's not clear what each of those things is for. You just have this random task, which is you know uh, fill out the you know APC application, right? All these random things. With Complice, you put your goals in first. So, and then any task that you put in is by default marked towards going one of those, going towards one of those goals. So you're not just looking at a bunch of contextless tasks. Everything is goal oriented. The second piece that makes Complice different is there's an emphasis on doing uh, rather than organizing. So um, instead of having these long task lists that you're managing and reorganizing stuff, you're just working with what are you doing towards your goals today, and that makes it like you get more done and you're able to sort of stay more focused on what needs to happen as opposed to trying to have the perfect organizational system. Right. Right. On that note, the third thing that's different is like there's an emphasis on aliveness as opposed to exhaustiveness. So focusing on like what, what really needs to happen now, as opposed to what are all of the different things that I could do and trying to like keep track of all of that. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, those are some of the, the core principles that separate the complice philosophy from other philosophies like, you know, the GTD or getting things done process. Right. And, and so I've, I've been somebody who's been obsessed with productivity for a very long time. And I've always gone from one app to the next app. And there is a huge, I actually wrote a, a blog post where I, I, I infer the term productivity porn because I was so obsessed with being productive and, I, and reading articles. And eventually I, I started to notice that actually my obsession with, with being more productive was actually hampering my productivity. It actually became a distraction. And the same thing, it comes with apps. You know, it's we're always so excited to try the newest and the best app and now, Todoist has been a great application I've been using for many years, but sometimes I get overwhelmed because if you don't update it every day or if you set the tasks, and then sometimes you just have bad days where you just feel overwhelmed, and then you just tend to procrastinate by doing the lesser of the tasks. And other times, mm. I just get demotivated when I'm not able to clearly recognize my 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 long-term goals 
And what are the next actions that I need to take in order to accomplish those goals? And so that's the, the definite thing I appreciate about Compless. And I, I actually looked around and I could not find any other software application that does exactly what you do. The closest that, and we had this conversation before about the productivity planner. And now if, if anybody goes in Google and types in productivity planner, and I know that you mentioned another one before as well, but the productivity planner, you every week you have a weekly review and you write down your goals for that week or what you're still working on. And then every day you write down the three top things that you're going to work on. And the most important thing is just that first item. And you set the amount of Pomodoro sessions that you're going to work on. And then you write down your outcome at the end of the day. And that's just a planner. And the thing I, I just disliked about that is that I have to bring the book with me everywhere. And in Compass, you have the, the extension inside Chrome. And so as much as I love the Momentum extension, which would show me a beautiful image and the time every single day and a nice quote, Every time I open up a new tab now, I'm being reminded of the next intention and you color code that to the goals that you set. And so I think maybe there's some kind of subconscious connection that I'm just reminded of every time I open up a new tab, I'm tempted to go to Facebook. I'm tempted to go to Reddit and I can, I see my next intention. And I've, I've actually found myself over the past few weeks of using your software of just like, ah, I might as well just do it, you know? Whereas if I keep it inside Todoist, I, 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 every time I open up that application, I have so much stress and so much anxiety associated with that application. It just, I just feel my, my cortisol going up whenever I open up Todoist. It's just such, such a stressful application because you have to stay on top of it constantly. So that's, that's my impression of Compass. And I think it's a fantastic idea. And I've, I've, I applaud you for developing it and I hope to see, I look forward to seeing where you take it from here as well. Yeah. Just to riff on the last thing you said, you know, part of what makes the to-do is thing stressful is you've got, you know, so many things there that you're trying to keep track of. Whereas with Compass, you've just got one list for the day and there's not, there's not like a big looming list of other things. It's just that list for the day. And then you've got something at the top of it and that's your next thing. And so it's, it's really clear, you know, not should I do Facebook or should I do something useful? It's right. should I go on Facebook or, oh, hey, there was this thing I wanted to do. Yeah, I want to do that. And mm -hmm. like being able to sort of move into it from a, a space of desire. Because, you know, this is part of what's so paradoxical about the whole thing. Working feels good, right? Like well, it well, feels good to get stuff done. In, in the future, you know, when you think of the future self, I know that we're actually utilizing a different part of our, our brain that actually incorporates when, when we think of ourselves in the future, we're actually thinking uh, it lights up the same part of our brain that thinks of another person. And so we actually feel less empathy towards our future self. And I know that we're, we're always trying to achieve that, that self gratification in the moment. Uh, but, but sorry, go on. Well, I mean, so maybe your experience is different, but, but for me and certainly lots of other people I've talked to, it feels more good to be doing, doing good work. Mm-hmm. Like not busy work, not useless stuff, you know, that somebody else has assigned you to do it. Repetitive, right. Right. But, you know, any creative or technical work, it usually feels better to do that than just to scroll through Facebook, mm -hmm. which is not to say it's easier, right? Like it's easier to lay on your floor than it is to, you know, take a walk down the street. But the walk down the street might feel better than laying on the floor. And working can often feel better than, you know, mindlessly scrolling through, you know, whatever website. Right. So, so part of it is just getting over that little hurdle and, and getting into it. And, and I would add that it's connecting your, it's connecting the tasks to your goals. 
And that's what your exactly. software is based on. Uh, because if you see a task list, but you're not able to clearly say that this task I have to do is related to this goal, which is related to this long-term passion or desire, then you're unlikely to, to see that connection in the moment. And so you're less likely to do the task. And that's that's what your software does. It connects the user to remind them constantly of that goal so that they can sort of self-motivate in the moment, even when they're having a difficult day. Mm-hmm. And so that the motivation is like a towards motivation as opposed to just like, oh, I really don't want to have this on my list. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Like I really want to, you know, clear it off as opposed to like, well, what is this actually supposed to accomplish? Like, why does this matter for my life? Mm-hmm. So I, I actually do have another question of what if you're somebody who's stuck at a job that you, you don't really like or, you know, you're somebody who has uh, because, you know, I think that's the thing with entrepreneurship is that it's so easy to just say, I want to be an entrepreneur. But a lot of entrepreneurs fail. And a part of it is because if you're if you if, say, say you make uh, cake, right, and you love making cake and you decide that you want to go and start a business, but then you realize, oh, you have to do marketing, you have to do branding, you have to set up a storefront, you have to manage employees and you realize all these things that you just really hate doing and that completely stress you out. And a lot of people end up dropping that. And so when it comes to either starting a business and you, you're having to do things that you just really hate to do, or when you are in a job and you know there's parts of the job that you like to do, but there's other parts that you don't like, how would you recommend they bridge that gap of still being able to say, do those mundane tasks uh, short of having to do them because of a deadline and of in a severe consequence, which is what most of us tend to do when it comes to our, our level of procrastination is just waiting until the last moment when the when the the consequence would just be so high. And so I'm curious what you would what you would say to that and and potentially how your your accomplice, not necessarily the software, but how the idea of what your the the philosophy of what your software is based on might still help in that situation. Yeah, let's see. So one one thought is that it, it can be helpful to focus not on like, well, did I stop? Yeah, that, that, that's okay because I can't even answer that question myself. I I don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, no, this is good. You ask good questions. So, so one one thing is that sometimes it really helps to focus on not like what is the thing I have to do, but what am I trying to cause here. Like what, what, not what task do I need to perform, but how does the world need to be different? And Mm -hmm. once you've shifted your frame that way, then you can maybe find a different way to do the task. That's not so monotonous, Mm -hmm. or you can get really, um, you can hire an assistant for instance, to, to do that sort of thing. I mean, not necessarily, but even it's like, okay, so say you're an early stage entrepreneur and I think the, the cake example is a great one. And that's actually one that's used by uh, oh, who was it? Yeah, who wrote I, the book? I, I know called, it's in a book. Yep, that, that's exactly where I got that example. Yep. Right. Okay. So you read the E Myth too. So I mean, the E Myth talks a bit about about this, and I think there's something valuable to be able to being able to know. Okay, I'm not going to have to be the one making the appointments forever. It's like you know, eventually I'm going to hire someone else, and they'll take care of that, and then you can do that kind of systematization. I think actually you know more about that stuff than I do. But, uh, but that would, I mean, that would represent one category of thing. Yeah. And, and just, just a side caveat of that, when it comes to having an assistant, it can be a gift and a curse because at the same time, 
I've I've had I've worked I've worked through many assistants over the years, and I used to approach business with this philosophy of I need to do everything myself. And in some ways, that's good and bad because you end up learning all the basic foundations of what makes your business work, and that is that is very important whenever whenever it comes to running a business. You need to know a little bit about each person's job and how they and how they're working and their function of the business. But when you hire an assistant, it can be so easy to just delegate all these tasks and even the things that you partially enjoyed doing. And so I've actually found myself even lacking motivation and doing certain things because I tend tended to get myself into a mode of whenever it comes to making a small change on the website or doing a little design modification, I just task it to the developer or I task it to the designer and I can so mm. easily lose connection with the business and in, in, you know, unless you're unless you're able to constantly think about what is it I exactly enjoy versus what do I have to do or you look at the Eisenhower matrix about what's important and urgent uh, but there's also right, the consideration yep. about what 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 are you interested in because if you're just finding yourself in your own business where you just despise doing everything then that's not really the purpose of why you probably started that business in the first place and that's certainly totally. an area I found myself in. Uh, so you have to be careful about what you outsource to the system. You can't outsource everything. You still need to do your own things. They're there to help you administratively. And so I can honestly say I, I have never called my phone company, my my cable company. It, that has been a, a blessing is that uh, e- even like she, just yesterday, she was on my, my assistant was on hold for an hour. And that, you know, that's an hour of my time that I have back mm. um, as much as, as I as, as I feel sad for her. But, yeah, it works. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And, and I think that staying in touch with what you really enjoy doing is, um, is really important because, you know, I was talking with a friend the other day and had this thought experiment of like, if you could suddenly spring into existence, like, you know, any number of like clones of yourself that Mm -hmm. would, that would, you know, all be just together and they could, you know, they would respond however they would like how, how many, how many, what would you turn the dial to before you push the clone button? Like say you only got to push it once. Mm. So, you know, you're, there's either going to now be two of you or five of you or 10 of you or whatever. And there's a lot of stuff that can be said about this thought experiment. It's a really weird one, but I was thinking, okay, maybe I'd make 10 of me or something. Two or three of me would focus full time on doing complex stuff. And you know, the other like seven or eight would be like working on world saving projects and various other things that are kind of, you know, more, more grand plots and whatnot. But the, the thought, the person I was talking to was like, you know, Oh, well, you know, why would you, why would you like force the two of you or three of you to like, you know, go and just work on accomplice because, you know, the implication there being that like, that's kind of, you know, if it was like a day job, I didn't enjoy, it's like, why would I send a couple people to do it? But I actually really do enjoy the majority of the work that I do with accomplice because it's, it's design work, like interface design work, which is something that's very core to my my sense of the structure of my being, like my mind and and how I relate to the world is very much, you know, seeing interfaces and wanting them to flow more smoothly. And so you know, I really enjoy doing that work. And I also enjoy solving the little technical puzzles of programming. And so, you know, very much I wish I had I wish I had enough time to work on Compless full time and do everything else full time. And yeah, so that's that's itself a tough balance. One of the things that is great about, you know, having a software business is that I I've been able to have, you know, quote unquote assistants that are actually just software. Right. The code just runs itself once I've coded it. And that's, you know, has its own blessing and curse nature. Obviously, if it messes up, it's still my fault. 
Uh, you know, there's nobody else to blame, but there's something actually quite satisfying and simple about that. I can just say, okay, well, it's my responsibility to make this code function exactly as it needs to. And I'm going to do that. And so, you know, my dad asked me, you know, oh, your business is looking kind of, you know, it's looking okay, but have you thought about getting some employees, you know, because, you know, having a concept that a successful business should have employees, right? Mm. And I was like, well, I do have employees. They're just all software. Mm. And, you know, I at one point did some math on like, what was the thing, what are some things I used to do manually in the business that the software now does? And if, if I had to hire people to do those, I would need actually dozens of employees now in order to do all that stuff manually. But it was never intended to be done manually in the first place. It was always intended that it would be automated. You know, that what, what, what that reminded me of is this other concept that is slightly different, but it's slightly related that a lot of us, uh, it, was, it was an art and an idea I had for a blog post that I haven't yet been able to figure out how to, how to put together. But there's this idea of productivity whenever it comes to those little small things that we do on a daily basis. And I know that there's like, we, we all have our regular keyboard, but I know that there's another format that is slightly more optimal. And there are shortcuts that we can learn, but how many of us take time to learn shortcuts on how to use apps? But if you honestly would think about it, just like if you bought something, how often do you read the manual for that item that you bought? And then you end up spending 20 minutes or trying to figure out how to, how to do it, or you, you throw the manual away and then, you know, some problem happens, but then you forget where it is. And I, I theorize that if we take time to read the manual for everything that we buy, if we actually take a second, and, you know, just, just a few minutes in our week to think about how can we use the software or how can we optimize our life or, or, or way that we use our computer or something in some way, we're, we're optimizing that foundation. And over a lifetime, that could add countless hours or it can make a huge difference, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And that's something that we so often rarely look at is those little tiny things of how we can improve the foundation for the, for the greater big picture. And I've, just, I've seen so many people or, or applications just, uh, it's just a mess where you don't really, you use bookmarks or just, uh, I can't think of a really good example right now, but I hopefully you, you get what I'm talking about in a sense is. Totally. And there's lots of systems that are hard to use, like efficiently. I have a blog post about this called interfacing at the speed of thought which is like mm. kind of a rant about the state of a lot of touch devices and um, like um, gesture control stuff and mm-hmm. things like like voice assistant type things. It's like with a keyboard, you know, if you strike, you know, five keys, the computer's going to get those five keys in that order. If you try to tell your your phone, you know, can you call this person? You, you can't be certain if they're actually going to get the person right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what that means is you have to go slower. Anyway, it's it's kind of a rant about the same thing. I think that like there's a lot of there are a lot of gains to be made in going more efficiently, although I think they're actually less about time and more about like attention. Mm-hmm. It's like I've got a little thing. So I use Linux. So I've got something called auto key. But if you're on Mac, you'd want text expander. And if you're on Windows, you want auto hotkey. But right. the point is, it's a little thing that lets you pre type out a snippet. And then whenever you type some short little series of keys, it inputs that snippet. So when I'm taking notes on on something, I can type just three letters and it inserts the current date and time. And this lets me really easily timestamp my notes without even thinking about it. And the value of this isn't in the time it saves in that moment, but the fact that it makes it so easy to do that I don't even have to think about what time it is. It's like my computer already knows what time it is. So the notion of just insert the current time is really easy to do. 
And then it's really easy to go back and be like, okay, what, what, what did my day look like? Huh? There's this weird three hour gap where I didn't do anything. And it's like really easy to see. Whereas if I were trying to take notes and not putting in the time, it's like, I might not be able to see that. And, and keyboard hotkeys for apps and so on are the same way. It's not just that they're faster. It's that they make, they make it easier to do things, which lets you do things that would be slightly too frictiony otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so, so you know, being able to quickly paste a link or something. I have two things to add on top of that is, uh, number one, I, I know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to the short shortcuts. And, uh, the, the one that I was using prior is only like $5 because I think text expander, they, they, they changed to a, a monthly model, which I think just everybody just thinks is utterly absurd just to have a syncing capability. And so there's another application called a text for Mac, which is only like five bucks. But if you are going to spend money, there is another one called Alfred, a-L-F-R-E-D. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. It has this huge community around it and they have built-in snippet integration. And so one thing that I've done is there's actually a, uh, I found it on Product Hunt, is a list of all the Slack all the Slack emojis. And so you can create, you can import that as a file and then you instantly can create all these Slack emojis. So anytime I send like a, a, a smile, if I want to send a, a robot face, you know, and I have to type in the control command space in the Mac to bring up that emoji face, instead I can just type in colon robot colon and it automatically appears. And I've also done that for my email. So I type in colon CS and that'll bring up my, my email address. And I've done the same thing with phone numbers, with people, with with things that whenever you're filling out an online form, you can do that. And, and it's brilliant. The The biggest challenge with that though, that I found is personally remembering that. And I think the same thing applies to Alexa. You know, I have an Alexa in every single room, but the problem is it's so, it's so very narrow in terms of the command that you can use. And there's so many different skills that you can enable, but I think, uh, I think uh, Amazon came out with, with something that, that said that the, the most used command is just remind me to do something in the future because you can't really, unless you actually take time to memorize the various commands, it's almost impossible to use that. And that's the problem with the audio interface devices or even shortcuts is that you can create all these shortcuts, but unless you're actually taking time to memorize them, then it can be so problematic. And my, my additional point on top of that is also what your friend Nick wrote in the Motivation Hacker is the, the spaced repetition software like Anki, A-N-K-I. And I've actually mm. found that to be incredibly helpful where I, I downloaded the software and it'll, it'll sync and it's completely free and it syncs across all your computers and even your phone. And I've actually created custom courses on, say, Alexa skills. And so every day I'll open it up just for a minute or two and I'll just go through one of them and it'll basically be a virtual flashcard that I created. And so I've also used that for the Alfred commands because you can also use Alfred to open up bookmarks. Uh, you know, I, I have uh, my, my CEO, Connor, I'm going to call him out here. Every time I see his computer, he has a million icons on his bookmarks and, he ha and he's one of those people who has a million tabs open all the time. And I'm like, how do you work? Like, I, I don't know how you do not get distracted. And I recently came to the conclusion, I used to always have my bookmarks bar. I actually hit my bookmarks bar because I've actually started to get into the habit of connecting Alfred to the bookmarks. And now I just specifically change the name of the bookmark to what I can remember. And I just open up Alfred, type it in and bam, it opens up the tab. And so no, I no longer need a bookmarks bar. And I just think that's brilliant. I just save so much time when I don't have to open up Google. I, I still see people who use Chrome and I type in google.com in the search bar and then they search. And I just, I just do a face palm in some ways, but. Oh yeah, uh, totally. I think, I think that you might actually be like one step more than you need to be though, because so if you've got something bookmarked in Chrome, then when you hit, you know, control tab, you open a new tab, 
if you start typing in the name of the bookmark, like, you know, um, whatever it is, like it'll show up there. Mm -hmm. And that's even if you've renamed it something different than what the site was originally called. Right. Well, uh, with the benefit of Alfred is that I can be in another application and I can still sure, type in that yeah. bookmark and it'll just open up Chrome in the, in the tab as well. Right. Uh, by the way, there's a, an app that has, it's called a shortcut foo.com foo is spelled F O O, but they have a kind of ninja vibe. So it's sort of like, you know, Kung Fu too. And they, uh, they train you on a bunch of like hotkeys for everything from Gmail to like, uh, code editors and Slack. I don't know what the Slack hotkeys are. I guess Slack has a bunch of uh, different things for jump moving around and commands and stuff. Anyway, they have built in training for this thing, which is pretty cool. And, and, you know, what's nice about it is that it gets you practicing actually striking the keys as opposed to if you're looking at Anki, you're just trying to remember in your head, oh, yeah, I pressed J to move down a thing in Gmail or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, but unfortunately, you're still being triggered not by the impulse to do a thing, but you're being triggered by this text-based uh description of it so sometimes i was you know i was going through my, my shortcut foo things and it would say you know expand line bracket parenthesis you know have some description of the thing and i'm like what does that refer to again oh yeah i know the hockey for that but it's like i had to remember what that actually what that text description actually mapped onto yeah and i think that also brings up just uh i think there's still debate in the science community about the best way to learn things and i know that whenever it comes to to memory uh, memorization that you know there's different ways of that there's like the memory palace and i think there's there's a great book on that called walking with einstein where a reporter goes and he actually wins this memory yeah competition. i read that one uh, and, and so I, i'm actually thinking of this idea of of when it comes to learning is whether uh, the the prompts that come up to remind you of a shortcut. I know I know that there's an app. I, I'm I'm forgetting the name, but I'll include it in the show notes. An app that anytime you op you use a program and you use something that has a shortcut, it'll actually pop up and, and remind you what the shortcut is. And I think it's Key Rocket. Key Rocket. I know it might be also Keyboard Maestro Maestro or something. But anyway, we'll we'll link link that in the show notes. And I actually had a idea. There, there's also a Whenever you meditate, uh, you know, there's apps like Headspace, you know, very, very popular. It's been amazing that they brought so many people and, and it used to be this voodoo, like a uh, hippie kind of thing. And now it's being accepted into mainstream because there's actual science and studies behind the benefits of meditating on a regular basis. And apps like Headspace uh, or, or guided meditation, if you will, they will prompt you at various times, like, are you thinking Get, stop thinking, you know, like slowly pull yourself, like kind of pull, center yourself, right? And there's another application, which is a, a brilliant technology. It's a brain, uh, a brain analyzer. And I, I forgot the name, but again, I'll link it where I actually bought it and I used it for a while and it would actually analyze my brainwave patterns and it had instant feedback. So whenever I was meditating, it would, if, if my, if I wasn't thinking, basically it would, it would give me a ocean wave to listen to. But whenever my brain activity started up again, it would change that into a storm. So it was some sort of instant feedback to tell you whether or not you're you're centering or whether you're 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 not thinking or whether you know whether you're meditating or whether you should not be uh, thinking. And so I guess some kind of a reminder device. But my thought was I wonder do these do these devices that remind you of like whether you're you're using a whether you're using the mouse to click something and it reminds you of a shortcut or whether you're using a, a guided meditation app and it reminds you not to meditate, whether that's truly at a cognitive level, teaching you uh, 
to internalize that so that you no longer need that. Uh, I don't know. Did you, did you have any thoughts on that? Or, is, or just, was this just a rant that I, I didn't make any sense? <laughs> so, so, I mean, taking those two separately, I think that apps like Key Rocket or that Keyboard Maestro one that you mentioned, um, Maestro, I think that apps like that are really potent because what they're doing is they're creating a link in your mind between I want to accomplish this right? Which you clearly do because you're, you're clicking a button with your mouse. Mm-hmm. I want to accomplish this. And they're like, Hey, there's a better way. Right. Which is, which like means that next time you are about to click the thing, part of you will be like, ah, I remember last time they said I was supposed to do a hotkey. And even if you don't mm-hmm. remember what it is, you remember that there was one. And then maybe you click the button anyway. And they're like, Hey, there's a hotkey. And you're like, right, that's the hotkey. And then next time you're like, Oh, I want to do this thing. Oh, they're going to, re- they're going to bug me about that hotkey. I'll just use the hotkey. And then a few more times later, you're just using it, right? So that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's perfect. When it comes to something like meditation, it's a lot weirder because you're dealing with something that's fundamentally about the nature of attention in the first place. Um, I built a an app a while ago that was that was trying to do meditation in a different kind of way. And I, I think you probably would want to combine it with standard approaches to meditation. But the basic gist was, you know, with with meditation, how it's often practiced, um, there's, you know, long periods of silence, right? And you're trying to keep your attention focused on your breath or focused on a mantra that you're, you're chanting or something. And in those long periods of silence, it's easy to, you know, spend several minutes just thinking about stuff. And then you're like, ah, shit, I'm thinking, right? And you pull your mm-hmm. attention back. Now, on one level, the the experience of noticing, ah, I'm thinking is actually part of what you're trying to train. Mm-hmm. So, it's not just that you're trying to train yourself to be in the mindful state. You're also training yourself to notice when you're not. So that part's important. But if you want to just practice being in the mindful state more, then you want a, a a thing that, that bugs you way more often than like every, you know, 10 minutes or, or every, even every one minute, right? Because most people can't actually be mindful for one minute, right? Like you sit Mm -hmm. down and you have a bell going every minute, you'll spend, you know, Right after the bell goes off, you're like, ah, yes, mindful on my breath. What's for dinner? And then Mm -hmm. and then you're off. Right. Mm -hmm. And and then maybe, you know, 30 seconds in, you go, oh, 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 I'm thinking, Okay, back to the thing. But you spend most of that minute not actually tuned into your breath. So I built this little app that gives you like a five second timer. And you're like, can I be mindful for five whole seconds? And you like start the timer and then it goes off and, you know, it just vibrates in your hand. It's really, you know, simple. And then you're like, okay, can I be mindful for six seconds? And you start the timer and you're like, okay, yep, I made it to six seconds. That was only two or three, but we're on a podcast Mm -hmm. here. And then, and it it gradually increases if you stayed focused and then it decreases if you got unfocused. And, Mm -hmm. and I haven't promoted this app. I haven't even actually sort of formally released it because it's, it's pretty buggy and doesn't have that many features, but the basic structure of it, I've given it to a few people who've meditated before. And I mean, one of them said that he had the most intense meditation session he'd ever had, wow. like using this app for like 30 minutes, because it's like you're actually spending nearly the entire time really mindful as opposed to just like mostly thinking and periodically going, oh, right, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I've had some pretty incredible meditation experiences, too. There's uh, I started out just I would go on YouTube and I type in 20 minute meditation and there is this one particular video. And I don't know how much the science is behind it, but there's a, it's like a 528 Hertz. And I would play that for a pure 20 minutes. And near the end of that 20 minutes, 
I would feel like I, I, I'm glued into the chair and it's like, I don't want to move. And I'm just so calm and it's just such an amazing feeling. And then I started to create an intentional habit after I meditate to just look around me and be grateful. Like whenever I first moved here to Austin, I had, I had nothing. And now I have a flat screen TV and now I have a nice couch. And so I actually, I look around and I'm like, wow, you know, I try and bring that, that, that gratefulness, that, uh, you know, that appreciation for where you are in life into that meditation practice. And actually, before the meditation, I read a a page from uh, Ryan Holiday's book called The Daily Stoic, and it's it's a book that has as a 365 day meditations of stoicism. And every day, you just open up the page for that day, and it reads you a quote by, by Marcus Aurelius, and it will it, it, and he sort of summarizes what is the what what is the thing to meditate on today. And so I do that right before the meditation, uh, and I find that to be an interesting practice. Uh, and I wanted to add to your to your app. Uh, that mindfulness, that buzzing app is there's actually a, I think it's a Kickstarter project. I actually funded that and I, I received this device just a while ago and you, it actually uh, attaches to, to your chest uh, along your heart and it connects to a app on your phone and it can actually, it'll actually measure your heart rate variability. And I know that there's a lot of science behind the heart rate mm. variability and that can determine how stressed you are uh, and being able to control that and con- control your breath. Uh, if, if you're able to control your breath, then you're able to control your anxiety and your stress level. And it'll actually remind you if you're, it'll monitor your heart rate variability and, it'll, and they have different programs and sessions so that it'll, it'll teach you that mindfulness over a period of time, but you can wear it all day and it'll actually buzz if your heart rate var- variability exceeds a certain threshold. And so it'll be this, this very, you know, this, this reminder of like, wow, you're stressed and it'll just sort of remind you. And it also, it has different modes and, a, and another mode is actually, I, I, ha- I haven't used it for a very prolonged period of time, but it'll actually buzz every time your heart beats. And so I think the the theory with that is when you actually breathe in, your heart rate's actually going up slightly. And that's actually the sign of a healthy heart. And when you breathe out, the longer you breathe out, the slower your heart rate actually slows down. And so I think it's trying to create that mind-body connection uh, because uh, I know when when I was in, in the past and, and when I was probably 20 years old, I, I had panic attacks actually. And I would actually have panic attacks where I thought I was dying. Like my heart was just racing so fast and I didn't realize it was part, part of the adrenaline is like... Once you get that thought of like, oh, like it, it did this because I would get PVCs, which are uh, premature ventricular contractions, which they're completely benign, but just every now and then, like I'd feel my heart skip a beat and I'd had all the tests and the echo sounds and everything was fine. But, and, and apparently everybody gets them like 99% of the population gets the, these, these PVCs, uh, but they just don't notice them. And I guess I started to notice them. And then it created this thought of like, what, what is that? That's not normal. Uh, that, that can't be normal. And I'm, I, I'm I dying. And then the like the adrenaline way. would rush for it. I'm getting that adrenaline, like that mind, that feedback of like, oh my God, I'm dying. And then it releases the adrenaline and then my heart rate goes up. And then that just sort of uh, adds to that, that feeling of like, yes, I am dying. And it was an interesting time. And a part of the, the reason I started to notice is that I stopped breathing. Like I basically have very, very short breaths. And whenever you're having a panic attack, chances are you're probably not breathing. You're not focused on your breath. And so that's why one of the mindfulness techniques is to focus on your breath. That's sort of this, this core aspect of meditation. And I found uh, I, had a, I was having a panic attack one time and a friend said like, are you breathing? And I put my hand on my stomach and I was like, I wasn't. And then I started to, to breathe, like have big breaths in and out. And then slowly over a period of time, it started to go away. And so that's, that's kind of my, my short story of how I, I made that connection between your, your heart rate and your breath and your anxiety levels and your stress. Mm. 
I'd be interested in knowing what that heart rate thing, the the, the whatever device it was that you got is, because I was reading this really cool book called Stealing Fire by the Flow Genome Guys. Mm. I've read that book. That was a great, great book. Yeah. And they talk, I think it was in that book. It was in something I read about that time where they were talking about someone who had a device that just like buzzed every time his heartbeat. And within like a day or two of wearing it, he could, you know, dial his heartbeat up and down because he sort of learned what things internally affect it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, that's the power of having a feedback loop. And there's there's another app that I discovered. It's called Welltory, W E L L T O R Y dot com. It's a little expensive at like ten dollars a month, but they they use your phone's camera to measure your heart rate variability, and they'll actually ask you what is your mood and what and you can basically tag different things like did you have caffeine, did you have a bad sleep, did you have an argument, and you tag these different things, and it attempts to make correlations between your environmental factors and the whether you're whether you had a high rate of variability within your heartbeat. Uh, I haven't found it to be incredibly useful thus far, uh, but the, uh, the the Leaf, since, since they charge a monthly fee, I think the Leaf is a little bit of a better deal uh, since you just attach it. Uh, but that is called Leaf. It's called Leaf Therapeutics. So it's just L-I-E-F. And again, I'll, I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, but those are, are interesting biofeedback devices. And I remember there's a, a, a long time ago when I started to hear about this, this heart rate variability device. And honestly, for the longest time, I thought this was be Yes, uh, but now it's, there's more studies that seem to indicate just along the lines of meditation that uh, being able to feel your heart rate. And I, I remember in school they would actually have us a few times like put put your you know put put your thumb on your wrist and can you feel your heartbeat and you and you couldn't. But sometimes whenever you're stressed or you have a lot of anxiety or you're having an argument or you're running, that's when you feel your heart heartbeat. But if you feel your heartbeat when you're running, you know like that's normal. But if you feel your heart racing when you're not running or you're exercising, then that can induce the sense of panic. Uh, and it's, it's all this mind body connection. It's, it's good stuff. Right. That this has been an interesting conversation this far. Is there, uh, any other direction? I think, I think we're probably not going to cover the habits. We're just having such an interesting conversation. Uh, <laughs> we're just talking about other stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, and you know what we could do is like, we could just, you know, jump around to a few that feel relevant to stuff that we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, like so that's, I, that's one thing we could do. Yeah, and, and, I'd also and, be down to do like another, you know, interview that's more explicitly about those habits or whatever. Right, right. Um, that, that's actually what I was thinking of. Uh, and so my my next question is, is so, so I wrote down the 39. So so this time will be edited out as to wonder because you have a, you have a lot of other interesting blog posts and, you know, things that you're obviously very knowledgeable about. Is there any other topics that you think we can segue into uh, that you've written about or that you think would be very relevant to what we've already been talking about? Just, and and I, I said this just because I felt like we kind of reached an endpoint of of that conversation about biofeedback. Yeah, we were kind of going through a whole arc there. I'm just kind of skimming the list of habits. Also open up my list of impending blog posts, uh, some of which are like, they're sort of easy to explore in conversation, but they're like hard to try to write a mm-hmm. whole, like a whole treatise on. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think there is a core focus around intention setting and, and goal setting and, and tasks and mindfulness. And so the the book, that was a, a, a great book. What was the name again? 
uh, stealing fire stealing fire right and i remember i when i read that book i was just so like oh my god this is such an amazing book and i posted it on facebook and i shared it with everybody and said you guys have got to read this book and i prefaced it by saying it's the only book where they combine this aspect of of w- what is the commonality between the navy seals and people who go to burning man and you you wouldn't think that there is any commonality but they combine this idea of flow and it's a concept that that we're probably we everybody does but you're probably not always aware of it and there's times whenever i've i've i would write or if i'm or or the times when i would actually redo a website and there would be this whole week where i'm just so into it, i'm just so excited about that project i sort of stop eating i stop watching tv i stop all my bad habits because i'm just so into it i don't even want to go to sleep and i just want to just do this one thing because you just lose this sense of time you're just so focused on this this thing right in front of you and some of some Sometimes it's it's not easy to get that whenever we're working. But if you do anything like if you run, if you're part of a sports team, if you do any kind of hobby after on, on the weekend, chances are you're experiencing some level of flow in that activity, but you just don't realize it. And I, I personally believe, and I think they, they also make this argument sometimes in the book, is that you end up getting this, this recharge feeling whenever you're experiencing flow. Because there's a difference when you're working where you're having to, you're looking at the clock, you're just like, oh, how much do I have to do this? But then there's some tasks and you might, and again, you, you might get this in work, you might not, uh, but you just might go outside of work and get this flow outside of that, but you're, you just lose a sense of time. And I found that to be a very interesting concept because I had experienced that before. And then my next question was, how can we try and get that more often? And it's a very difficult question to answer, but I think the the book and the Flow Genome Project, they try and answer that. What are your thoughts on that, Malcolm? Yeah, they try and answer it and, and they've, they've got some good stuff. I recently did like, you know, a free course that that they had. It was just, you know, one week of flow flow oriented habits. And I thought it was pretty good, although it did seem like mostly it was just geared to be a marketing funnel for their mm-hmm. like $700 course. But to me, it didn't feel like it was good enough that, to make me want to buy the $700 course. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, yeah. Well, I was just going to add on that. Yes, I, like I read the book and I think it was an amazing book. But then at the end of it, they say, you know, go to our website for more information. And then you sign up. And I've been on the email list now for at least a year or whenever they launched the book. And every now and then I get this email where they're trying to sell a course. And so I feel like, you know, it's a great book. It's a great concept that introduces you to the concept of flow. But I feel like it's sort of a book that goes into a marketing funnel of they're trying to teach you more about flow. And I don't know. I, I feel like flow is sort of like meditation. It's not really something that you can teach in a class. It, everybody is sort of has their own way of finding flow. And so maybe it helps you to be more mindful about how to find it. But I, I, I get, I haven't bought the course, but they do have you, it, it is a very markety style feel uh, vibe yeah, that they and, have on it. And, and the, the question is basically like, what is this organization doing? Because you could imagine a version, like when I first saw like Flow Genome Project, I'm like, wow, they're doing this like incredible research into, you know, what makes people most, most flowy, right? But now it seems like they're trying to get rich. Like, mm-hmm. and, and this is important because, you know, organizations will optimize for different things. And it's like, what I would, I would be more enticed to go to a workshop if it seemed like they were really focused on the research and not focused on trying to sell slots at the workshop. 
you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I because think it's, it's, it's all about values and uh, how they run the organization. And, and I think, you know, every company you want to make money, uh, but then there's there's certain ways that you can just, you, you give off a bad vibe. And 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 there's a there's a person that, that we both know, his name is Tiago Forte. And I'm not afraid to mention his name because I think he's, he's absolutely brilliant in how he's able to read this idea about productivity and system building. And he, and he just recently launched a course that uh, I would highly recommend you pay $300 for called Building a Second Brain. And it teaches you how to organize your, your virtual life into a way that utilizes Evernote, Google Drive, how to have your task system. And he invented this thing called Para uh, of this organization system. And I think that's brilliant because I don't get the, the vibe, like, yes, it costs money, but I don't get the vibe that that's his primary intention. Like he loves doing it for a passion. And so that's something I, I can definitely recommend. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, part of it can even be the timing too. Like he's definitely done a lot more marketing the last, you know, couple of months than he was doing, say, a year ago or something like that. And but it's it partly feels like maybe because I've been following him for longer, there's a sense of like the context of the work that he's doing. And it doesn't feel like he's just focused on the money by any stretch, as as you said, right? And so, you know, th there's something really, really important here about like, do you want to compete with people on the quality of your product or on the quality of your marketing? And, like I do, I do like life coaching for people, right? Like I, I coach people one on one. But I do basically no marketing for this except running Compass as a business and people mm -hmm. periodically reach out to me based on Compass or based on reading my my writing and they say hey Malcolm do you do one on one coaching I say absolutely but I don't I don't want to be in the business of trying to convince people that I can coach them because that is a very very competitive business not not the coaching but the marketing yourself as a coach is very competitive and I just don't want to be in that because then I'll be competing with people who are worse coaches than me, but better at marketing. Mm -hmm. So I just don't go there. And I think it's also about intention of what you set out to do. Uh, the, the story I commonly bring up is when I was in, when I was 15 years old, I started this business with my friend. And after a week, we got into an argument, but then I decided that I was going to do this business on my own. And less than a year later, he started to see that I had achieved some level of success with this business. And now I'm, a, I'm this poor kid that goes to a rich school and he's a very rich kid and his mom drives a Maserati and everything. And so he always had this 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 pedestal feel, like I'm better than you. And so when he start to, started to see that I started to achieve some success with the business, he thought, oh, he needs to do a business too. So then he created this file uploading site. This is around the time that mega uploaders started to get uh, a lot of excitement. And then the problem is he started to get a lot of DMCA complaints from all the illegal stuff that was on his service. And then his mom found out and shut him down. And he didn't go back into it. And there's other friends in school that also, they served their own business, but they lost, they lost interest. And I think a part of it is that you, you have a bat, you know, that you like for him, he did it because he wanted to prove that he could be better than me because he couldn't take him not being better than me in this specific example is, is he couldn't accept that. Right. And so his intentions for creating the business were, were not pure. And for me, a part of it, when I initially started off is I wanted acceptance. I wanted other people to accept me. And that was part of my reason. But over time that evolved, the, the reason for having the business evolved. And now today I, I'm the founder of this company that employs over 500 people. And I didn't think that at, at the beginning that my, my motivation was to help others. And, and, and by the very fact that we have this business, we're supporting uh, 500 direct people. And in the Philippines, they will go on to take the money that we give them and they send it to their family, their, their cousins and their brothers. 
And so uh, one person can take care of a whole family of five or 10 people. And so we're, we're taking care of thousands of people. And there's this, this deep, meaningful thing that I, I don't know where it came from, but just knowing that I'm responsible for uh, helping the people grow and, and their families, like it just adds this other level of pressure, but it adds this, this extra level of motivation of, you know, this is why I'm doing this. And so your, your motivations can have a direct impact on how motivated you are to continue, especially when the going gets tough. And there are, are, there are, there are marketers and people who publish books. There's a lot of people who publish books simply because they want money. But, it, but I think in time, you, you will find people who have a genuine interest. I think another those people I look up to is like Tim Ferriss. You know, he has, uh, one thing I've, I've seen that I've noted is that he's never done an online course. And I think he's, he, I think he's talked about it in one of a blog posts, but you know, you have all these online marketers who's, who's done these, these courses. And for him, he hasn't. And I think that the reason is that it would make people feel like, oh, he's just trying to take my money. You know, like he has all these free stuff to just draw me in. And then he's trying to sell me this ridiculously expensive course. And he just doesn't do that. And I think that's a part of, of long-term strategic strategic thinking is, is yes, you want to make money, but you also have other pure intentions that are guiding you along the way. So yeah. And another thing that this connects with is, you know, what we were talking about earlier in terms of flow, right? Because it's like, if you're doing flow based work, you're enjoying yourself, right? Like, you know, you're, you're having a good time. Part of the original research on flow, you know, before the flow genome project was Mihai Csikszentmihalyi who coined the term. And although, I mean, he got it from other people, right? Like he got it from the interviews that he did, but he found that people tended to be most enjoyable when they were doing stuff, not when they were relaxing, quote unquote. And that's where this, this sense of flow first, first came from. And yeah. And so what's interesting about that is like this kind of flow is just actively hard to get in a lot of say like corporate environments or whatever. So, so for example, like I, it's not just like the, you know, meetings and so on, although that's definitely a thing, like people get their flow disrupted by having to meet with other people or having someone come and, you know, knock on their door. But like last fall, I did what's known as a maniac week. Now, you've probably heard of this because Nick Winner, who you mentioned earlier, is one of the I think he was the person who invented this. Mm. But basically, you work nonstop for an entire week. Mm. And I've done a few like maniac weekends before, but this is the first time I had the chance to like, you know, take a whole week. And I did. Yeah. And I did 120 hours of work in like eight days. Wow. Now. If you consider a, a, a the context of a an employee employer relationship, if if someone asked their employee to do that, that would be like basically illegal, mm-hmm. and, right? And I think I think there's also just the the, the motivation aspect of that. Uh, I know that there's a a fascinating way of, of viewing something called mental contrasting, where you're able to view the positive and uh, the, the 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 obstacles that you have to achieve. But I know it it sort of has a reverse effect at helping you achieve your goal if you're unclear at what that goal is. And so when you set out to do this, this 120, this, this maniac week, I assume you had very clear intentions as to what you wanted to do. Yeah, I had, I specifically, what I was trying to do last fall was make it so that Compass would work offline. Now it ended up taking probably over 200 hours total. I thought I would finish it in like a hundred hours, but it took way longer. Um, but yeah, I had this really clear idea and it was fun. And, and it would have been even more fun, actually, if I wasn't working on something that was so technically like hair pulling, like if I'd been like implementing new integrations or something like that, it would have been a blast. But it, it was fun. And it's so weird that like if I do it on my own, it's fun. But if I were to try to do it in a corporate context, it would be like considered like torture. 
mm. practically. Like it would be considered inhumane. And it's like, I think that really gets at the core of like a lot of what really grinds people down isn't even the work that they're doing. It's just the feeling that they don't have control over their lives. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I mean, autonomy is one of the three components of of something. I forget what the model is, but there's autonomy, mastery, and uh and, and, and then, then there's the uh, the the Goldilocks rule. Have you heard of that? I mean, it's something something just right. Yeah. Whenever it comes to to motivation, and, and it's a part of finding flow, is that something has to be not too easy because then it's just monotonous. But it can't be too hard because then you're just put off and you don't want to do it because there's so much between you and and it that you're just you're just not really interested. But you you want something. You want a task that's in the Goldilocks zone, and that's the most interesting task where you're able, it's not too challenging, but it's not too easy. And it, that's the, that's what is allow you, it allows you theoretically to find the most optimal way of finding flow within whatever you're doing. So I assume whenever you're, you were doing that, that maniac week, that it wasn't like you, you knew how to code, right? Because if you didn't know how to code and you had to learn how to code before you did the project, then that would be just like, there's no way you probably could have done it because you, you would constantly have to be fighting your, your urge, your, your, your Olympic system to want to go do something else because you just feel like you're not making a lot of progress. And I think that's the other aspect of what what Accomplice is, is works so well at is that you feel like you can make progress because whenever you're using a task system and you check off a task, you might not necessarily feel like you're making progress towards your goal because you're not necessarily associating with your goal in that very moment whenever you check off the task. But within Accomplice, it's it's setting the intentions below the goal. And so I don't know if, if that has any effect at helping you find flow or helping you achieve the things that you know you need to do, even if they're not something that you really want to. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, I found that another technique that's really powerful for flow, which is also built into accomplice is the Pomodoro technique. This is a, a pretty famous productivity technique. Lots of people still haven't tried it. If you haven't tried it, my number one tip for doing productivity stuff is do the Pomodoro technique, you know, basically set a 25 minute timer, work for 25 minutes, don't do anything else. At the end of 25 minutes, break for 25 minutes. Don't act, don't keep working. Uh, this is important. There is a, a philosophy that says, well, if, if I'm in a state of flow, then I'll just keep working. And that can be good. But what it means is that because you're not taking the break seriously, it's harder to take the work period seriously. And eventually you'll hit a wall and then you'll stop. And because you aren't stopping at a break, you'll be stopping at a part that's hard. Um, and so it might be harder to come back to. Whereas if you take a break when you're like right in the middle of a sentence, then you like you come back to your writing and you're like, oh, yes, here I am in the middle of a sentence. What's the second half? And you just kind of get right back into it. And what, what a Pomodoro does is it just makes it really clear, like now is the time for working. 25 minutes from now will be not the time for working. And so it kind of resolves some aspects of internal conflict of like, oh, I don't want to work like nonstop for the next few hours. Um, and you can just dive into it, even if it's something that's kind of aversive. And I find that creates a lot of flow for me. And, and that brings up something that I remember reading about Ernest, Ernest Hemingway, where, uh, you know, he uh, actually, a lot of people think, you know, every, you know, some of the best writers that they love writing. But no, it's, it's been confirmed time and time again. Nobody likes writing. And one of the techniques that er, Ernest Hemingway used is that he would actually set a, a limit of time. Uh, so he's going to work on something or he's going to achieve, say, a thousand words or two thousand words, uh, or he's going to work for 30 minutes. And then he is going to walk away 
when he is in the middle of a scene and he knows exactly what's going to happen next, but he's just going to stop. And then he's going to come back tomorrow because it's, it's actually almost like the opposite. It's sort of like somebody who, you know, a a lot of us, we, we don't want to exercise and then we just get so used to not exercising. But if you exercise a lot, then it can actually become a, a negative to not exercise. You feel like you're, you're not yourself if you don't exercise. And in some ways, the same is true for any task where if you, if you find that flow, but you don't separate yourself from it and, and you end, we know whenever you get everything out of your head, then you come back to it tomorrow. You have to start with a blank slate and it's actually a lot more difficult to, to carry on. But if you stop in the middle of something, then you have something to come back to tomorrow. And that's actually an, another productivity technique. And it's, it's the opposite typically that you would think, because if you feel like you're in the flow, you want to stay in the flow. But actually what you're saying is that it's better to, to walk away and have that break because otherwise you end up hitting this barrier. And I've, I've experienced that exact same thing. And I, I love Pomodoro but I've had so much trouble sticking to it on a regular basis because I have to, like I, I would I would use it primarily for the things I don't really want to do. And I would use it for the things I don't want to do that don't have a clear like end objective in mind. When it's just sort of like brainstorm this thing and I don't really know what to work on next, it can be very difficult to, to work on that because you don't have a clear definition of what that task is. Yeah, and time boxing is great for stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I've used it for that, but there's sometimes whenever I would just find the flow and I would just be like, oh, screw Pomodoro. I'm just going to go right into it. And then, then I, then I stop using the technique where I forget about it. And it seems to be like this, this reoccurring cycle if I use it and I don't use it. Right. So how would you sort of wrap all this up? Um, now when, when we're talking about habits and flow, meditation, uh, biofeedback, heart rate variability, uh, goals, goal setting, what is, what would kind of encompass all of this? I think the, the core thing is, is keep trying things. You know, if I, if I were giving tips to people, you know, tip number one is try the Pomodoro technique in particular, but tip number two is just try different things. And, you know, you'll find that sometimes they will stop working or whatever. That's okay. Try a different technique. And then maybe you can come back to that technique that stopped working, you know, in a few months or a year or whatever, rather than getting fixated on any particular technique as being, you know, the best one, uh, just see what works best for you right now. And if it, if it stops working great, you know, jump off that ship and jump off, jump onto another one, because there are a ton of different ways to do things and there isn't one right way, but there's a lot of different things that can work. Yeah. And, and we're, we're so stuck in our bubble of comfort that's the opposite of what we want to be in because then we're never growing. And Tim Ferriss has this great blog post that he actually talks about this fear setting experiment where every month he tries to ask himself, what am I afraid of? And he brings up the example of, you know, if, if you're stuck in this job that you really hate, but you're afraid that you you won't have any money because you need to support yourself or you need to pay your rent. The, the exercise asks you, instead of what are your goals, what are you afraid of the most? And that is often the question that we need to ask ourselves because it can be difficult to want to jump and do as many crazy experiments as you have done, Malcolm, where a lot of people just don't want to do that. And so if you can ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen? You know, maybe you you can't pay your rent for a few months or maybe you can it'll allow you to travel the world and see, get a different mindset or a different experience. But that's just the often thing is that we end up stuck in this sort of click where cycle of just repeating ourselves and we feel miserable and we're not really growing or we have this growing sense of this desire to do something else, but we're afraid that we can't do it because of this or that. And so that's a great exercise. I would recommend that, that you also try and incorporate into your daily routine uh, to make sure that you're not stuck in that bubble of, of just uh, comfort. 
Mm-hmm. And the other thing to remember is if you try something and it works really well for two months and then it stops working, it's like you still have all of the benefit of the fact that it worked really well for two months. Like it's not like that sudden it's not like the fact that it stopped working means that like you're back to ground zero or that, you know, the whole thing was a failure. It's like if you keep up a, you know, a daily meditation habit for two months, like that'll make a difference, even if you then fall off the wagon and don't meditate for, you know, another bunch of months. Mm-hmm. And it's also easier to come back to that. You know, I know that if you've exercised or if you've built up a muscle before and then you stop going to the gym, you're, you're, you actually have muscle memory. And so it's actually easier to build up that muscle. And so if you meditate, just say that you commit to a week, then you stop. It's actually going to be easier to meditate in the future once you come back to it. So these are all great points. Experiment, get outside your comfort zone, find your flow. There's so much more that we could talk about, but I think in the interest of time, we're going to have to stop it for now. And I'm definitely going to have to have you come back on uh, again, Malcolm, so that we can actually go over this crazy list of habits that you have published on your blog. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you again for Malcolm. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation and we'll speak soon. All right. Just, just wow. I absolutely love that conversation with Malcolm and I'm definitely going to have him on again. We were actually planning on talking about a habit experiment, which has got to be one of the most fascinating blog posts I've read on the web to date. Either way, I found Malcolm's app to be incredibly helpful to my own productivity. And if you'd like to give give it a go, we've set up a special offer that doubles the length of the trial period to one month and adds an additional two free months if you subscribe to the annual plan. Just go to complice.co slash mindhack. That's C-O-M-P-L-I-C-E dot C-O slash mindhack. And again, check out the show notes for a direct link and more at mindhack.com. Hey guys, this is Cody again. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Mindhack. And if you're interested in getting more Mindhack-worthy stuff straight to your inbox, then you might consider signing up for my weekly newsletter. It often contains links to new episodes, blog posts, and other interesting finds I found on the interweb in the past week. It pretty much focuses around productivity and efficiency. So if that's your thing, then be sure to visit my website at CodyMcLean.com. That's M-C-L-A-I-N.com to sign up. Also, if there are any interesting websites, companies, books, blog posts, quotes, or anything else that was mentioned in this episode, you can find it all and more by visiting the official website for the MindHack show at MindHack.com. And as always, if you have any feedback, good or bad, I want to hear it. Send me a tweet, email, or what have you on either of my websites as my goal with this show is to give you the maximum value in the shortest amount of time. That's all for now, guys. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you guys again soon.